Yes. When are we going to stop singing the Bobby Brown classic theme? Is it the theme tune from Ghostbusters 2? I think it is, yeah. Is that what you call it? Yeah? Yes. Yeah? When would that be? (sighs) Is it going to be today, the only day that we just sing it constantly around the house? Or could it go into tomorrow or maybe next week? I think it could. Well, I think it's got to rise up the charts to go, so... um... (laughs) (laughs) Should we explain this? (laughs) Yes. I think a lot of my friends already know because I reference it all the time. Oh, I'm not sure many of mine do. Okay, so our, we have a, we have a weekend tradition. Mm-hmm. Which, oh God, this sounds bad already. Which is to watch Top of the Pops, but not Top of the Pops from now because that doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. BBC Four runs two episodes of Top of the Pops uh, on a Friday night, mm-hmm. and yeah, they're currently up to 1989. Yeah, and. Currently at number one is Sonia with You'll Never Stop Me From Loving You. She's just got to number one. Yeah, replacing... Oh, what was it? Oh, it was there for a while. Oh, Back to Life by Soul to Soul. Oh, yeah, it was getting boring. Yeah. You know, because uh, they do two episodes a week, mm-hmm. we are only two years, therefore a year, mm. away from Brian Adams being at number I'm one so for 16 excited. weeks. I'm so excited. Eight weeks of that. I don't care. I don't care. It'll be in the studio. They'll show the video, he'll be in the studio again, possibly with a bow and arrow. Then they'll show the video again. I'm up for it. it it's a telling sign that we end up fast-forwarding songs that have been at number one for too long. Remember when um, I just called Say I Love You was number one for <laughs> eight weeks? You know what? We don't fast-forward them, though. I think we're quite good. We just go and we'll like get a phone out or <laughs> yeah. go and do something else, like pop into the kitchen for a cup of tea and come back. Just, you know, let it just play in the background rather than sit there and watch it religiously like we do with all the others. But yeah, all day we've been singing on yeah. our own. Bobby Brown. Get a quit, get a quit, get a rehearsal on pack, step back and then quit. I don't know if that's a word. I don't it's know what you're saying. Make... But I know he says something about Vigo. Because... <laughs> and he definitely says Ghostbusters too. <laughs> they call them Ghostbusters. Does he mention Dan Aykroyd? Does he go for, through the names? I don't think he does. No, but making two appearances this week was Dan Aykroyd because Liberian Girl was also there with him riding in on a motorbike with Ma- Steve Guttenberg. Michael Jackson's Liberian Girl has gone in at number thirteen. I tell you. It's, no, it's oh, like 18. 18, 18, yeah. So yeah, Michael Jackson's in the chart, and he's got this really odd. I mean, you said you really liked this video, but I found it very strange. Where all the well-known people from that era turn up to a studio ostensibly to meet Michael Jackson. But yeah, Don it's King. A, it's yeah. a it's a room. Don King, um, <laughs> Carl Billy Weathers, D, Carl yeah, Weathers. Billy Williams, yeah. Um, who else? Steven Spielberg. Yep. And like you say, Dan Aykroyd and Steve Gunberg. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> They're all going, Michael, where is he, Michael? And then at the end, spoiler alert, Michael Jackson comes down on a what the, the, crane one of those crane with the with the camera on, on. Mm. and everyone's like, Oh Michael, oh, oh, oh you've caught us. Really odd. <laughs> Do you know what my favourite thing from this week was, Finn? Was it scaring our son with the loudest boo you've ever heard in your life? No, no. Because no. that was fun. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of that. Let's not talk about that. Yeah, Someone yeah, might check, hear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's if you search Harold for Harold Bishop in Spotify, <gasps> we are now the top result. That is amazing. I mean, our podcast episode from two weeks ago. I would be the person searching for Harold Bishop in Spotify. <laughs> it's a shame that Ian, whatever his name is. 
Oh, what Holm. was it? I used to know all the names. What was his name? Ian. I want to say Holm. It's not Holm. No. No. I don't think it really matters. Okay, thanks. Shame that he doesn't have a <laughs> musical career. We kind of wish we could have named after Dua Lipa or Drake or something like that. It might have uh, shot up the charts yeah. in the old podcasting iTunes type Spotify thing. Well described. I think Thank that's you. a technical term this is in what, the industry. This is why you do all of the tech stuff. Yeah, um, so we're now on all the major podcast networks, <laughs> apart from Google Podcasts, which is an absolute sod. I don't even know this. I mean, I've never even heard of Google Podcasts. Sorry, Google. Sorry, I, I think Google Podcasts are brilliant. Please let us in. So you can't what submit it? it. You It relies on Google searching for your page, mm-hmm. and then it can take between four weeks and... So is there an actual thing that you could go to? Yes. Yeah. If you're on Google... And boy, has it caused me annoyance over the past week. It makes me want to buy an iPhone. And I oh. don't say that lightly. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> you're changing as a person. I don't like what this podcast made you into. <laughs> watching television, watching television. So, quiz. Quiz. We watched quiz together. Yeah, it ran over three nights, mm-hmm. which I hate. Okay. I'm a creature of habit. Yes. And for a programme to come and insert itself in my life for three days consecutively, uh, I have to be really interested. But it means you've got something to watch each night. We've always got something to watch each night. Yeah, but it's a bit like, you know when... Top of the Fox and pointless. <laughs> you know, like MasterChef misses a day and I get really annoyed because I like consistency. Oh, I hate the fact that it's on three nights. Okay. Well, we've now got the use of technology so you can record it and we could have watched it all in one go. Oh, no, I hate the fact it'd be all in one go even more. There's no pleasing you this no, week, is no, there? No, there isn't, no. Right, okay. So, quiz three nights, did you not in? Do, do you have anything good to say about it? So Content-wise? It, it's very ITV drama. And I think that can be used as quite an insult. But it looks and feels like an ITV drama. I thought it was excellent. I really, really enjoyed <laughs> it. It's very bizarre. I don't know where you're going with it. So... You're saying it's an ITV drama, but you think it's a good ITV drama? Yes. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, So what did you know about the story? I can't remember much about it. I don't think I was watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Should we we describe the basics of quiz before we get into it? So it's the story of Major Charles Ingram and his wife Diana, who um, he became known as the coughing major... Because he uh, went on the show, won a million pounds, but later was convicted of... It was conspiracy to fraud or something like that? Conspiracy to... Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's it's a real life event. Yeah. Um, And it was also 2001, so it's quite a while ago Mm. now. It was front page news at the time. Yeah. You know, this, this whole idea of coughing the right answers to him or coughing at a time when there was a right answer. Indeed, coughing at a time when there was a wrong answer took the nation uh, by storm. Yeah. I mean, I find a lot of comedy in people who were famous for about five mm, minutes. Mm-hmm. So Major Charles Ingram and Te- Tequin Wittock. You um, are so obsessed with Tequin Wittock. I've got things to say about Tequin Wittock, but I carry keep a on. database of people, and they are proper... For, of people who were famous for five minutes in the UK only, and they go up there with Eunice Hothart, Guy Goma, Gamu from X Factor... Uh, that woman who Gordon Brown called a bigot. 
Oh, yes. And yeah, they're, they're yeah, also yeah. in a subcategory of people who were public enemy number one for five minutes. <laughs> so, Nasty Nick from Big Brother, uh, Rebecca Luz. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that woman who put a cat in a bin. Oh, no. I remember. Oh, no. I forgot yeah. all about that. I So, I have them. I think about these two people and the wife mm-hmm. probably once every six months. And okay. give a little chuckle to myself. So, Tequin Whittick was the guy that was supposed to have been coughing the at uh, the correct time and mm. giving Charles Ingram clues. And this show makes it ambiguous as to what was going on. It, it's interesting that, isn't mm. it? Because, like I say, you know, spo- spoilers, he was convicted. But yeah. he was convicted in court. You can't hide that. So they, they, there, was no, there was no fear of slander. They could, have, they could have made it out that they were properly cheating. And I think probably for dramatic purposes. Yeah. Because there's very little doubt in my mind that they went in there with a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is but there is ambiguity in this show and it it adds doubt, doesn't it? Yes. It it says it at no point in time are they saying to each other, Oh, we've got away with it or here you can see text messages from different people mm. incriminating them. There are things that happen in the show that lead you down the path of going, Oh, okay, that mm. might be how they did this. But the key point, the key point, like if me and you were doing it, the conversation we would have, they didn't show that at all. Yeah. What do you think of it? I wasn't convinced on night one, and I thought, mm, I'm not really looking forward to getting to episode two, okay. night two. But once it got into its stride, mm. and they introduced more of the court scenes, which, yeah. you know, it's my, my bag. Yeah. Um, and I love, there's a line in the middle where someone walks in and goes, oh, it's like an ITV courtroom drama. Yeah. And that's what, it was proper turn to camera and wink. Mm. And I got the sense of it and the style of it and that it was very much turn to camera. Wink. It felt actually quite theatrical. Mm. Like, I can imagine it being on the stage. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, this was an adaptation of a stage play. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Funny that. Oh, Oh, I've really done my research for this one, haven't I? Yeah. But yeah, I, that's well, that's really interesting then, because that's how I, I mm. felt it was. It was written for stage, and then was shown. Mm. My favourite, you know this because yes. I kept turning to you the entire time mm. and going, "Isn't he brilliant?" Was Michael Sheen as Chris Tarrant? I'm gonna start an argument with you here. I thought so because you weren't giving me anything every time I turned around and was like. Essentially, like you know, doing that really annoying thing you do where you you elbow someone mm. and you go, "Any good? Any good? He's really good, isn't he?" I thought he was superb. I think there is a fine line between acting and an impression, and I think he took a hop, skip, and a jump past that. But he he has to do, he has to be Tarrant. He has to do, and because we know Chris Tarrant. But and... I think it was a parody of Chris Tarrant. Oh, I'm not, oh no. I think no, it was no, John no. Culshaw doing it on Chris Moyles back in 1998 or whenever that was. Possibly, but I think it was more nuanced than that. Oh, and, I, and I think there was more... very little nuance in there. I, I, I didn't see any in there. I think there was more intention. The micro... The tiny, tiny little points of, of the movement, the, the vocal, the, you know, just so, so specific in, in his way. This wasn't meant to be a, a show about Tarrant, so I wasn't looking for an an acting performance about Chris Tarrant. He needed to be the Chris Tarrant that was on the show. I think it, it distracted me from the narrative. It took me out of the show. 
and my suspicion is, and we can't prove this either way, is that if that was anyone other than National Treasure-elect Michael Sheen, everyone would be like, oh, it, it took me out of the show. But the show in itself is, like we've said, it's not a drama that is a stone-cold, factual, almost documentary-style drama. It is a wink to camera. It is a turn your head and, oh, what's he doing? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. got more of a comedic style. It's And there's quite a few... It's certainly in the final episode, there was two sort of fancy sequences, mm. which was the other thing I really hated about it. Okay, but do you not think that then the, that Chris Tarrant portrayal fits into that yeah it fits into yeah it fits into something that i didn't like yeah um i thought that matthew mcfadden was brilliant Mm. um remembering charles ingram he plays him without Mm. becoming an impression of him okay um i felt he was very similar to his character in succession which is another show that we watch but haven't talked about on podcast probably how he's got the job Mm. um A, a slightly pathetic is might sound a bit too harsh but as a slightly pathetic Bumbling. character yeah yeah remind me you can have to remind me of the lady's name sean clifford the from fleabag yeah the sister from fleabag yeah um who played diana his wife yes yeah i thought she nailed it mm. uh as did the guy who played his brother uh, mm-hmm. which i also don't know the name of. okay neither do i so okay. th- we're both in in the doghouse for that one <laughs> didn't really seem worth it in, to- in total, for them... Yeah. Mm. They were clearly well-off people. Yeah. Um, they Obviously, the brother seemed to have financial troubles. Mm. But a million pounds, whilst it's a life-changing amount of money, mm. when you're splitting it between as many people as they would have split it between... I think the fact that Diana had already been on the show, which I had no idea of, and the brother had already been on the show. Either. Again, had no idea of that, and they'd all they'd won fairly significant amounts of money, so mm. thirty-two thousand pounds, sixteen thousand pound. That was interesting. Yeah. To these large sums of money, and then just keeping going, keeping going, wanting to get to the million. So I feel like we should scam like only connect. <laughs> Win a trophy. I haven't got a clue how we would do that. <laughs> Give, well, I mean, you're very good at Only Connect, but um, I would just be sat there going. Mm, I think I'm only good. I'm, I'm quite good in that I maybe get two answers per show. Which whereas, is, which is excellent. <laughs> it, it's excellent for yeah. the layman. Yeah. Compared to the people that are on there. <laughs> um, what else have we been watching this week? That was that. so quick. What we watched Run. Yes, we did watch Run, and that is a quick one, isn't it? Because it's only only half an hour, which is minute. Perfect. Yeah, lovely. So high concept, dark comedy. Would you call it? It's on Sky Comedy. So um, I suppose oh, it's a dark comedy. Not hmm. sure. Okay. So the premise is mm-hmm. a girl is sat in a car park. She receives a text message that says mm-hmm. "run." Mm-hmm. She replies back to saying "run." She immediately leaves her life behind and gets on a plane to New York and joins a former flame as far as we can tell, on a train journey to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know at this point what they're doing, what the motivation is, other than they've had this agreement that if someone texts the other run, they drop everything and do, go on this journey. I think that's really spoilerific. I don't think it's spoilerific. I think that's the premise of the show. Because I didn't know that at all when I watched it. Because you turned to me and went, do you understand the premise of the show? And I was like, no. Because when she's texting Run in the car, or when she's being texted Run in the car park, mm. I thought it was a dark, almost like a thriller. 
I didn't even know it was a comedy. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, the channel surely gives that away. Mm, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think the thing is, this isn't about that. It's a framing device yeah, for yeah. getting to know yeah. these people. Yeah. Because we know nothing about the when she until the very end of the show. We know very mm. little about her, mm-hmm. and also we know we know very little about about him. Yeah, and we don't know if the stories they are telling mm. are. Are true. Yeah. Um, Complete unreliable narrator, isn't it? Yeah. Because when you're when you're meeting up with someone that you haven't seen for a long time, mm. you might tell a few fibs about how your career is going or what you're up to or where you're living. Yeah. Because if you don't know, you don't know. I really enjoyed this. Mm, I loved it. I think the main two characters are somewhat annoying. But they have to be. Yeah. Yeah. They have because to be. You, to, to lift up to this premise. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, and they're and they're realistic. Yes, people are annoying. Yeah, you're annoying sometimes. <laughs> when I'm when I'm naming Teclan Witter. Yes. Yeah, when when we're lying in bed. I mean, sorry, insight into our life here, but when we're lying in bed and you're just turning to me, going Teclan Wittick, Teclan Wittick, over and over again, and then getting it wrong. So then I have to correct you. Do you know? Just to backtrack a little bit, do you know that the guy who plays Teclan Wittick of Quiz Fame is from Hull? No. Your birthplace. Yes. Yeah, his name is Michael Gibson, and he is the founder of an arts and culture trust in Hull that supports young people getting into okay. into drama. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, so, yeah, no wonder you're obsessed with him. There's <laughs> some sort of deep-seated connection that you have with this guy. Yeah, um, no, I didn't know that at all. Well, but, yeah, we will definitely be back watching this show. Yeah, it's brilliant. Thirty minutes. I thought the just, you know put a bit rude in the podcast. I thought the sexual tension between the two characters was brilliant. Yes, you, you could really feel that they were people who had an attraction, but maybe had doubts. But just you know that that thing of where you meet someone yes. that you haven't seen for a long time, but you clearly had. A very deep-seated connection with at an earlier time in your life. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. So we're definitely watching that, and providing we keep on with it, I think we'll report back at the end of the season. Absolutely, as long as you don't keep turning to me after watching it and going, "I'm gonna run away," I'm gonna run. <laughs> so where would I go? Yeah, yeah, you did. Oof. <laughs> Sounds like something I'd do. So. <laughs> I could see you thinking about it as well, like where you were gonna go. <laughs> I've got cabin fever. I just need to run anywhere. Just go somewhere. Um, what else have we been watching? So, separately, mm-hmm. you watched Debs. Yes. I had no interest in this. Which I was really surprised at because I saved it for you. I thought I was being really good. Mm. Um, a couple of episodes came on the old Sky recordery thing. More technical terms. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, you're at work. I'll just wait until you come down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and then we can watch it together. And you just went, nope, nope, nope. Actually, quite angry. You were quite angry. <laughs> like, don't want to watch it. I've been burned by too many of these shows. Mm. Um, so, like, I've not seen any of it, so I'm waiting your review. Mm-hmm. To me, it looked another American Gods. It looked mm. another, another Legion. Why? Um, okay. I think yeah. Alex Garland, who wrote it, I really like Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. I really liked Annihilation. Annihilation, the film. But yeah. there is a section of style over substance with a lot of his films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. whilst I can deal with that in a two hour film where mm-hmm. I'm going to get a resolution, mm. 
if I'm coming in week to week and getting cliffhangers and things like that, I think I find them really tough to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably a comment about me more than anything else. I don't think this is American Gods and Legion. Just to say, I've watched two episodes. I attempted to watch a third yeah. this afternoon, but a small person got in the way of that um, while you were out having your um, government-mandated walk. Yes. So I tried to watch the third one. Mm. It's probably intrigue more than anything else, just to see what would happen in episode three. Okay. And actually, I watched the end of episode two last night in bed mm. when you'd fallen asleep. Okay. So, again, and again, it wasn't that I was desperate to finish the end of episode two. Mm. I just wanted to see what would happen. Just yeah. from a, a more of a factual perspective, where is this show going or where might it be going, rather than, oh, I'm desperate to watch the end of episode two, or I'm desperate to get to episode three. It's not American God, it's not Legion, it's not that big, bold styling of both of those shows. Mm. This is incredibly minimalistic. There are very few people involved. It is very cold. If anything, it's Ex Machina. Okay. And I say this with a bit of a wry smile, because it's all about a tech company... And there's a tech magnate who's a bit eccentric and there are unsuspecting employees. That's all I'll go with it. It's very similar in theme to Ex Machina. You could put the characters from Ex Machina into this show. Interesting. But it's cold. It's very cold. Mm. I don't think... I'm going to enjoy watching this show. I'm not going to hate watch it. You know, we always talk about sort of hate watching the show. Yeah. I'm not hating it. But I, I'm i going to watch it. I'm going to watch it till the end. And I think I will probably forget about it. Unless something major happens. Okay. There have been some big events in episode one and two. Some, mm. some huge, substantive events. But I was F cold. Okay. The music is incredibly jarring as well. And mm. I find it quite... Fran put my hand up and go, but it's not frightening. It just catches you unawares. I think there was the same in Annihilation. You know, the music yes. was just, suddenly there would be like this great big loud noise mm. and a big orchestral. And it is noise as well. Yeah, yeah, that's music. it. Yeah. It is. It's not. It's noisy. Mm. And then there'll be silence, and then there'll be noise, and that's quite. You know, it, like I say, it's jarring. Yeah. I'll see where I get with it. I'm not I'm not convinced about it at all, mm. but I just want to see it through. So at least then I can go, well, I've given it a go. I don't think you would have enjoyed sitting and watching it. It's not an, it's not an enjoyable show. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, I might, because I think there's only enough for one sort of annoying <laughs> program at the time. Mm. And currently, no spoilers, that's Westworld. So um, yeah. yeah. I, um, I'll, I'll, I'll probably give that one a miss. Really interestingly, mm. not to give anything away, mm. but there is a very, very similar plot device in Devs as in Westworld as well. Okay. So Westworld and Devs are sharing something and I don't know what is going on in the world where we're now taking our sci-fi into this very specific issue. I now feel justified. Yeah, I think I thought you might. it might help. And I watched, as promised last week, mm. uh, the first episode of season three of Killing Eve. You did? So we watched season one. I think mm-hmm. you loved season loved one. Loved it. I liked season one 
up to a point, I think I fell a little flat once. It was there was a tonal change halfway through, and I now understand that Phoebe Waller Bridge only wrote the first four episodes, mm. um, and then we hated season two. Yeah, I think it's important to wear your prejudices on your sleeve. Mm. So let's just state that season two debuted June eighth last year. Oh, did it? Right. Which was a very difficult time for of, us. Yeah. Um, Henry's passing. Yes. Um, and I think we we're probably looking for some entertainment just to take our minds off the situation we yeah. were in. Um, episode one, I remember, was contained in a children's ward of a hospital. Oh, it did, yes. And I yeah. think, I, I wonder if that put us on the wrong foot uh, with it. Maybe. I don't think it was as strong as season one, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think we were ever going to be in a situation where we were going to get the most out of it. Having said that, there was some memorable moments. Um, I think the Julian Barrett episode, there's a bottle episode. Um, I've forgotten all about that. Yeah, taking place in mm, Julian Barrett's mm. house. I really enjoyed it and it stayed with me. And I really liked the events of the Eve-Nico relationship mm-hmm. and the turns that took. No spoilers, sir. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you've gone into season three with a reflective <laughs> state of mind. Yes, absolutely. And... Reviews that have come out have been quite mixed, mm. and that's probably been generous. There are moments of dialogue and action that, in the first episode that made season one so good. Okay. But in between, there were large sections that were so dry. It starts off setting up... It's six months after season two. Okay. Right, so, so we've moved on slightly. you start off seeing what Villanelle's up to. Yep. And it is a grand set piece. And really entertaining. Is she wearing fabulous clothes? Yes. There is then a 20 to 25 minute spell that shows where everyone is. Mm -hmm. It starts off with a scene where they are talking about the politics of MI6. It took me three attempts to get through it because it's just exposition back to back to back to back. Mm. I mean, I'd Blake in my ear for two of those attempts. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that doesn't help. And after finishing it, I went back and thought, how long was that scene? Right. And it was four minutes. Oh. which it seemed like maybe 10. It's at mm. least double that. Little things that you let go in season one and season two really put me off. And I think it's just because you don't have the snappy dialogue at points. Mm. Uh, Villanelle's accent, uh, Jodie Comer, who's yeah. a really good actress. It's amazing. It really annoyed me. Oh. It seemed, it hit me like Alexi Smirnoff, uh, I is liking these... But- yeah. But she's been doing that accent since season one, so something's something's, something's amiss. Yeah. The last ten minutes, it yeah. actually picked up. Okay. Um we had some really good set pieces, mm-hmm. uh Villanelle doing things that she does. That she does, yeah. yeah. And Eve is put into an interesting situation. Mm-hmm. There I don't think it's supposed to say there's a big event at the end of the mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. that I didn't expect to happen. Okay. So you were surprised, you were yeah. yeah. I'm gonna go with it. Okay. I might not finish it, mm. uh, or it might finish. It me, might finish itself. Yeah, it might take me six months to finish it. Yeah, uh, like like season two did. But I go into it with an open mind. Let's uh, okay. Um, and we may cover that at the end. Of, I may cover that at the end of yeah. the season. Um, if you never hear from this again, I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, we'll know what's happened. Yeah. Well, we've been watching a lot this week, haven't we? There's been a lot of really good stuff on. Yeah. I mean, or a lot of things to just to have a go of and see, oh, right, okay, that's new. Mm. Let's see what it's like. At some point, this is going to dry up, isn't it? Uh, Given that they're not yeah. making ATV at the minute. Yeah, I know. And actually, things like Line of Duty and, you know, really big prestige shows, I'm not sure what's going to happen mm. with, with those shows in the future. I haven't heard anything on the grapevine, but mm. not, the, not that yeah. I've got. <laughs> they're going to 
yeah. ring me. They're going to ring me and go, well, Elaine, well, Line of Duty's put back by three months. Your and, huge uh, contact list we'll, of, we'll in let the you industry. Know. I'll get, like, a red phone will ring. Mm, yeah, so um, come six months, we might just be reviewing films. And, uh, oh, that's yeah. great. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm fine with that. You know why I'm fine with that? Why? Because it's my date night this week. It certainly is. The future. The polar ice caps have melted, and the earth lies beneath a watery grave. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. What did you see out there in the 15 lunars? Such as? An end? An end to all this water? You're asking the wrong person. If you weren't there. So what's the word? We trading or not? And the human dream is the search for a mystical place called dry land. It doesn't exist! How can you be sure? Because I've sailed farther than most have dreamed. I've never seen it. This place, this whole way of living, it's ending. Straight line leading directly. Directly to dry land. Dry land is not just our destination, but it is our destiny! Kevin Costner, Dennis Hopper, Gene Triplehorn. Waterworld. In a world. With water. It's water world. I do love an opening voiceover by the trailer guy. It's amazing. And it is indeed a world filled with water. Not filled. What do you mean not filled? Oh, there's the noise from our <laughs> bathroom. The plumbing. <laughs> there you go. See? Thematic. So What do you mean not filmed? Right. Filled. So we've we've just seen Waterworld. Yes. Let's just Go for that, and uh, I think that's going to contain spoilers for Waterworld. Yes, from a film from 1995. Oh, was it that late? Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to start off by talking about my thoughts on it. Uh, thoughts on Kevin Costner. Yes, I think Kevin Costner is a good place to start. I've got quite an interesting relationship with Kevin Costner. Have you? Yes. Yeah. So it's another one of the things yeah, that you need to tell me. He's actually my dad. Um, <laughs> Imagine, imagine Kevin Costner being your dad. Wow, God. we look so. He's alike. Robin Hood. Yeah, he's on water. He's the postman. Right, come on then. So Kevin, Kevin Costner. Costner to me mm-hmm. shined very bright for a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, he did Untouchables, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, Dances with Wolves, uh, Robin Hood, Tin Cup, and Waterworld, <laughs> and that was him done. As a serious movie star. Okay. Then, did he do The Postman after that? I think so. Yeah, I think he went post-apocalyptic twice. Yeah. So he did Waterworld and then he did The Postman. You never go post-apocalyptic twice. <laughs> I mean, who would? Baseball you can do twice. Of course. I like The Untouchables. I don't dislike Bull Durham. I found Field of Dreams quite boring. We watched Dancing with Wolves quite recently. Yeah, we did. And yeah. it was all right. I mean, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is fun. 
but he's the least fun thing in it. Yeah. He's in a different film to everyone else. Oh, I'm not sure. I don't think he is in a different film to everyone else because Christian Slater is still in that film as well. Oh, no, I think Christian Slater's having a lovely time. I think... No. Many of the Merry Men are in the same film as Kevin Costner. Alan Rickman <laughs> is just bowls them all over. I think they're all in the same film. Okay. In my mind, it's him taking it very perfect, whereas everyone else is being all jolly but and he's merry. But Rob- he's Robin. He has to be. He can't, he can't be like, oh, I'm Robin. He's like, you know, I'm Robin Hood. I'm here to save everyone. He, he is the saviour. Everyone who's had their eyes taken. Oh, God, are you obsessed with that? We're going to have to explain that at some point in time because you make reference to it in quite a few of the episodes of the podcast. Let's not do it now. No, no. Because we might be here for a while. But if you ever hear Mark going, they took my eyes or my eyes have gone or anything to do with eyes being taken, that's Mark's little nod to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. You claimed it was never said when Your we found out it is. Your favourite bit of that film. It's yeah. not, he doesn't say it like that though. Anyway, can we go back to Waterworld? Yeah, okay. Right, Kevin. Co- so that's your relationship with Kevin Costner. Mm. Some good, some not so good. Yeah, I mean that sums up this film, doesn't it? <laughs> so let's start with the positives. The practical effects are amazing. Yes. In a time now where you could do anything with CGI, mm-hmm. there is a set piece raid on a sea station. It's not a space station, is it? It's no, a, but it yeah, is meant a, to look like that, yeah. isn't it? It's in a circle mm. and there's water in the middle of it. So it looks like a space station, mm. but on the water. That is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, and that's quite early on. Yeah. It, the film never really peaks beyond that, I think. Mm. I'd have preferred that at the end. Should we explain the premise of Waterworld? I think I did we it get... last week, now, as I found out. Well, now. yeah, this is the problem, isn't it? When you were saying, oh, mm. Kevin Costner on a boat in a land that is full of water, so the polar ice caps have melted, and as far as we know, there is no land. There is no dry land, as they call mm. it. And you even knew that he had gills, which was interesting to me. Yeah, we'll come to that. Okay. And you knew there was a girl who had a map. I don't know if you said that... It was a tattoo on I her thought back. it was a tattoo or, or a birthmark, Okay, yeah. so that was right. Big tick for you there. Yeah. And they're looking for this mythical dry land. Yeah. So that's essentially the film, mm. Mark. It's not really a map, though, is it? It's an arrow <laughs> pointing to a mountain. <laughs> I was always really confused about that when I watched it when I was, like, 14. I was like, I don't, you, well, you know me in geography and maps and mm. any sort of directional thing. So I looked at it and I was just like, I don't understand how they're using that to take them anyway but anyway they're not yeah um, thanks <laughs> how far after current day is this meant to be set this is meant to be the year 2500 and how has he got gills i don't know mark okay. i didn't write the film <laughs> because it says it's a freak of evolution uh, a fluke of evolution yeah he's a mutant it's just muto don't they so maybe they they're maybe they've seen other mutations no but that's not what a mutation is and that's not that's definitely not what evolution is. Right. You wouldn't grow gills within five hundred years. I don't think this film is meant to be sort of biologically correct. It is meant to be an action adventure. I've got piece. a feeling that this whole evolution thing is kind of a trope around the film that I've heard. So okay. I'm, I'm not gonna go too far into it. But yeah. You wouldn't yeah, the premise of him having gills is quite And yeah. you would have thought that other people would have had them as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm quite happy just to just take that Kevin Costner has gills. And also, um, he has webbed feet. Well, I mean, must have come from Grimsby, you know. So. 
Kevin Clifton's got them. Um, Please don't talk about Kevin Clifton. <laughs> for the record, for Kevin Clifton. For, for the record, Kevin Clifton does not have webbed feet. You and Kevin Clifton. Anyway, so that's that's the premise of the film. Yeah, there are some stunning set pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an early act. There's the early action scene. Mm-hmm. There is the. I was really impressed at the scene where he takes out under the water down to the city. So this is the little girl's adopted mum, who's yeah. played by Jean, Jean Triplehorn. You see, you call her Jean. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's that's how you Jean. pronounce it. Anymore. You said it last week, and I was like Jean, and then I thought maybe I'm. I think saying I'm, it I wrong. Think, I think it's. Um, <laughs> I think I'm mixing her up in the Jean Garofalo. Because uh, they've both got funny names. I think it's Jean. I have listened to quite a few things in order to work out whether it's... And actually, yeah, in the trailer, it says Jean Triplehorn. So, okay. yeah. So, Jean Triplehorn, as we'll now call her. Um, I won't. I'll call yeah, her. Yeah, I know. As I will but, now yeah. call her. She is looking after a little girl called Enola, who every time I hear that, I just want to sing Enola Gay. Yeah. Um, so, she's looking after Enola, who's the girl with the tattoo, and at one point in time... Kevin Costner takes her down into, like, down into the sea, sounds wrong, but he takes her beneath. Down, yes, into what used to be the cities before yes. the polar ice cap melted. Yeah, so you can see the remains of skyscrapers mm-hmm. and even a, um, a submarine sort that's, of that's wreckage that's wreckage yeah. there yeah. yeah so and she doesn't know about that and he shows her all the the dirt that he he, he finds because she's like, where are you finding this dirt from mm. it must be from dry land he's like well i've never been to dry land but i have been beneath the sea and she goes i never knew i didn't know that's what happened it's pretty obvious what's happened. Yeah, but, I know. Yeah. And at some point in time, someone else also says, what did the, the ancients did something terrible? Yeah. There it's you a bit, go. Yeah, it's a bit Al Gore in a... Yeah, we've yeah. got a nice climate change message there. Mm. Um, are we supposed to like Kevin Costner? Because he's a bit of a dickhead. It's, it's bad, isn't it? Yeah. It's really bad. He spends the first half of this film being a proper prick. Yeah, I was getting really quite distressed at certain points. I couldn't, I hadn't remembered just how awful he is. I know there's meant to be like a redemption story, so I know he's he's on his own. He's mm. called the Mariner. They don't even give him a name, do they? No. They call him the Mariner. He's got his gills. He's a loner. He's really gruff, and he speaks sort of. He doesn't do full sentences, so you get the impression he's been by himself quite a lot. So you realize, you know, he's me- he's meant to have this story mm. of he meets these two people, Jean Triplehorn and Enola, and he we know he's meant to soften, but he is really violent. Yeah, and he throws Enola overboard. He throws her, and she can't swim. Yeah, he then decides to because he has a bit of a disagreement over her acting in good faith mm. to try and rescue them when they are attacked by the smoke smokers the smokers are the yeah. baddies yeah. yeah he chops their hair off yeah in a quite yeah 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 um <laughs> and I, don't, I was i was sitting there this is like really nasty controlling mm. behavior mm. he pimps gene triplehorn out yeah and start. okay yeah he changes his mind but, but he still did it and it was quite a long time. Yeah. He, he only changes his mind when he realises that 
the what you what you swapping her body for isn't what he wanted. Ooh, oh. Um, he almost feels as a bit of a feel when she offers herself to him early on. Yeah, again. Um, mm. Yeah, his, his hands ready to cup. My Elaine's problematic corner signal was going <laughs> off quite a lot at the first part of this film. Mm. But Enola um, draws a picture of the three of them holding hands, and that does a one complete one eighty character arc. Yeah. Uh, and then he's teaching her how to swim. He teaches her how to swim. Yeah. Oh, what a lovely man. Yeah, what a lovely man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because previous to that, when he meets the guy that he sort of half pimps out Gene Triplehorn to. Yes. That guy, really creepy guy, <laughs> offers him, I think it's paper or something, or offers yeah. him stuff off, off his boat mm. for 45 minutes with Enola. Which... Because he likes oh. to have a chat after. Oh, oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. And I know he's meant mm. to be horrible. And it, Kevin at the time is like, no, no, you can't have the child. But here, have this have this woman yeah. who I've only met five minutes ago. Why did he take them in the first place? Why did he... Because he takes them under the guise that he will... He rescues them. They rescue him. They and rescue in him return, first. he rescues yeah, them. Yeah. And... So he says, oh, we're going to dry land, um, but one of you has to leave. And one of you we have to throw overboard because you won't both survive. Yeah. This doesn't make sense because they're not going anywhere. As it turns out, he doesn't know where dry land is. Um, So where is he taking them? I have no idea. Okay. Just making sure that, yeah. I mean, I've got a note here. Sail to the Rockies. If that doesn't work, sail to the Andes. If that doesn't work, turn west and go to the Himalayas. Just go to the mountains. But they don't know where the mountains are. They don't have any maps, Mark. Why don't they have any maps? They've got Crayolas, so why haven't they got... He's got a National Geographic. Yeah. With Paradise Lost on the front. What? Not the band. How, how, how have all maps become... Obsolete. Yeah. I don't know. There's only one, and it's on the back of no, a no, small that's, child. Again, that's not a map. <laughs> that is an arrow pointing to a mountain. Um, so, Dennis Hopper... Who is having a lovely time? So Dennis Hopper is the Alan Rickman of, yeah. but um, I mean I say that and I don't really mean it. Uh, I mean because Alan Rickman is Alan Rickman 20, has yeah. some nuance to it. Yeah, this is just very very broad. Yeah, baddie. It's Skeletor. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, Skeletor yeah. in He Man. Yeah. So he eventually kidnaps Anola. Mm-hmm. He eventually kidnaps Anola, takes her off, trying to understand this map. Mm-hmm. That's not a map. That's not a map. Burns down Kevin Costner's boat, and they're so distressed by all this, they fall in love and have a game of hide the fish finger. You can tell that this entire <laughs> film was written, directed, produced by men. <laughs> when we watched the credits, there wasn't a single woman credited. Mm. And you can tell. This is fantasy land. Yeah, yeah. So... By coincidence, they're rescued by the idiots from the sea station. So these are people that we've met earlier on at the sea station that seemed okay. Yeah. There's an old man who's a bit eccentric. I mean, they did string Kevin Costner up, but as we've proven (laughs) at this point, Kevin Costner's a prick. So um, I'm kind of with them on that. And then there's this other guy that was kind of okay. Jeff Capes. Yeah, he did look like Jeff Capes. It's a lot of wrestling. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of people that look like wrestlers because of the way that they're dressed. Yeah. And I big mean, hair. Yeah, Dennis Hopper's second in command looks like Triple H as well. Does, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Massive, big blonde hair. And a bit of a big nose. So Kevin Costner finds 
Dennis Hopper's boat. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know what Dennis Hopper's boat is, don't you? Yeah, it's an oil show, Yeah, it's an oil tanker. It, yeah, and you know the oil. T- you know that what it is because it shows the name at the end, and they also call him the Deacon of the D's. Okay, should so, I have known who this is? So it's the Exxon Valdez. I don't know what the Valdez is. Oh, the Exxon Valdez was um, it's a it was a big oil spill. It was an oil tanker that was owned by I think it was the Exxon like shipping company or something like that. I mean, (laughs) being owned by Exxon isn't the biggest stretch, is it? Exxon is an oil company. Right, okay, that makes more sense (laughs) to me then. (laughs) But I I don't know these things. But it was like millions of gallons of oil was... Okay. Do you not remember that? No, I remember the one like later on. But I think it was this must be like, in the eighties or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was sort of like late eighties. I think it was one of the biggest man-made disasters, and I think that's why they're putting it into this film because. Well, if it the, sank, how is it up and sailing? I don't think or... it sank. I think it was just. I think it just listed. Okay. Have you seen what's on the Exxon Valdez though? I mean, there's Bacardi. There's Jack Daniels. There's Black Death Vodka. Yeah. Yeah, they were having a lovely time on that. They're, they're, and they're called the Smokers mm. because they that's smoke. what they do. Yeah. Just constantly. I'm not sure you'd get that in a film nowadays, you do wouldn't. you? You wouldn't. Because at one point in time, Triple H, as we'll now call him, blows smoke into... <laughs> a, a, I nearly called it Ebola. In, <laughs> in Nola's face. Like, you would never get... Someone blowing smoke into a child's One face. One of three now, uses of CGI that I noticed in the film. Oh, right, really? Yeah. Oh, good. A puff of smoke, the monster right. that comes out for two seconds. I forgot about the monster. And a kite that is launched mm, to steer mm-hmm. the ship. So Kevin Costner breaks onto the Exxon Valdez. Yes. And takes down loads of pirates. <laughs> is that what you're calling them? Well, they are. I mean, they are yeah. pirates. Yeah. Uh, rescues Enola mm-hmm. and sails off. With the help of these idiots from the sea, <laughs> sea station. From the sea station. Um, the people from the sea station have got a copy of the map. Do they? Because they've already done a translation and realised that it's coordinates and worked it against some writing that coincidentally was on the piece of paper that the diddler had with them. <laughs> the diddler? Yeah. The, the bad man that was that was trying to take advantage of the two women on the boat, one being a child. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right, okay, we're calling him the Diddler. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm sure that's not his name, but fine. So they right. have a piece of paper of this map. Right. Why don't you just walk on and go, tell you what, I'll swap air for this. Oh, Mark, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a romp. It's people flying from ropes and... Jumping into water, and I think you're taking this map a little bit too seriously. Okay, well, maybe if there was more of the romp, then that it's, wouldn't it's happen. Romp centric. Oh, I don't think it is. Do you, no. But he's always flying about. He's always coming to the rescue of people in distress. Apart from yeah, when he's but trying he's to jumping from plank to plank on his boat. <laughs> yeah. Like I have a note here. Do you know what's not exciting? Sailboats. Sailboats oh, and chases. One, that one is beautiful, though. I mean, the and the open water, the beautiful set, the way that it looks like it's made from scrap, which it would have been if he's, you know, putting it together in this sort of post-apocalyptic world. You're looking at me. It's really not going to set now. your heart beat, heartbeat racing, though, is it? I mean, it might might for some people, not for you. Have you ever seen like the Olympic sailing? Yes. I mean, there's a reason that's not on Sky Sports. <laughs> Because it's a boat that looks really pretty in the water, and then the commentator goes, 
and I can't believe it, the Italians made a huge mistake. And you're like, yeah, Ben Ainsley's cut inside, apparently. <laughs> Another gold medal. I'm getting a distinct impression about your thoughts on this film. <laughs> so, I think the big problem with this is, it's Mad Max on water, and Mad Max is more exciting. Yeah. And probably cost about a quarter of what this... Well, even less. And that's the big thing about Waterworld, isn't mm. it? That it was $175 million. Yeah. At the time, it was the most expensive film ever made. You can understand why, because they're, apart from... Oh, it must be hell to they, shoot. Yeah. It must be absolute hell to shoot. You have only have a couple of scenes at the end on dry land. I mean, I think it lost money at the cinemas. It's probably made money back since. It has, yeah. yeah. It, it, it definitely has now. International sales, when it went on to video, mm. um, DVD. I mean, it's only just come on Blu-ray last year, 2019, July 2019. So really interesting that you talk about it being Mad Max on like jet skis, on Mad yeah. Max on, on water. I hadn't got the Mad Max reference when I watched this back in the 90s because mm. I hadn't seen Mad Max then. Okay. I've now obviously seen Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. And that's all I could think about when I first started watching this with you is, wow, they have absolutely ripped off Mad Max. Yeah. When I was doing a little bit of research this afternoon, that is exactly what they were setting out to do. Yeah. In the mid-1980s, the writers wanted to do what they called a rip-off of Mad Max. Makes total sense to me now. <sighs> but why make Mad Max and then make it a lot more difficult to film. Well, I think at the time, it was only meant to be an 100, I mean, only a $100 million film. Then it became essentially essentially a Jaws, didn't it? Water always gets in the way. It seemed, and virtually every shot on this, apart from the last five minutes, Mm. at sea. Yeah. And not just off land, Mm. actually out in the middle at sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ran away with itself. Yeah. And it was a troubled shoot. I think now that I'm not 14 and I'm not sort of <laughs> not getting carried away with mm. the ideas of the film. That's what I think I loved when I was a teenager. I loved the idea of this post-apocalyptic world, the idea that the polar caps had melted, that it was a, a climate um, emergency-esque film. It had a message, an environmental message. I love that scene where they went down into the water and saw mm. the, you know, all those disaster, it's a disaster movie. But now I can see there are huge problems with this film. It seems to me that they've just gone out to make the most ludicrously expensive film mm. ever made. But it, they must—they didn't do that at the time because it was just—it was hundred million pound budget, and it just ramped up and ramped up. But I don't think they set out to to do that. I think it just got carried away with itself. It seems well. It seems to me. They didn't need to make this on water. If mm. this was on land, I mean, it'd be Mad Max, but... Yeah. Does the water add anything to this film? It it gives it a, a, a really stunning visual. That open water, that the sea, the glistening of the sea, the feeling... I mean, it's great for us at the moment on lockdown, because mm. I was just breathing in the television and the sunlight... It just seems to me like, you know, when you get a billionaire that does something just to show off their wealth. Like, when the iWatch first came out and a billionaire got four diamond-encrusted iWatches for his dog. Mm. It just seems like that. Okay. Well, it didn't work out for them, did it? Well, yeah, yeah. And it's it clearly sets Kevin Costner's career back a fair bit. 
And also um, the director, Kevin Reynolds, who had worked with Kevin Costner on a number of... I think this is their fourth collaboration. Okay. Um, and before this was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which had, had done fantastically well and is still um, quite loved, I think. Uh, Robin Hood Prince. I know you've got I know no, you've got no, no, no. Big I think it's loved. No, I I enjoy Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Mm-hmm. I think it's enjoyed by people of our generation. Yeah, I suspect it's if you came to it to now, it. I'm suspect if we showed Blake it in a few years' time, he'd be like, "What? Nah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. He might like it. Um, this doesn't have anything in terms of plot. No. compared to that. For Kevin Reynolds, I think this was maybe the straw that broke the camel's back with his relationship with Kevin Costner, there are reports that he did not finish this film. And it's really interesting that at the end of the film it says, a Kevin Reynolds film in big letters. I think I mentioned this last week. I, th- I think I made a... You probably cut it out because... I you... think I did. <laughs> Amazing. I thought it was the thing that Kevin Costner was actually the real creative person behind. I think he came... Kevin Reynolds said at the time it was like having a backseat driver. Yeah. And Costner had directed Dances with Wolves mm. um, and was doing lots of directorial things. So, you know, he I think he may have just taken over. Oh, I won't make any more points because you're probably <laughs> going to cut, cut these ones out. I might. You never know. So, look, I'm criticising it. Mm. I respect I'm it. For, it. I respect it for what it did. Mm. Uh, I respect it for how it's made. There are some... St- Stunning scenes that will stay with me in it. Mm. <laughs> but it didn't but, work. No. Uh, th- the majority of things in between that did not work. Yeah. Mm. I found myself thinking, when is this going to end? Yeah. I got a little bit bored at certain points. <sighs> really interesting coming back to this as an adult. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I, I was... I was actually going to say I'm really sorry for making you watch this. No, I don't no. think it's that bad. It's That's not, why it's I not was that going bad. to say that. But I don't think it's that bad. I think it's an interesting one for you to see and for you to then have a discussion I think with it's me more, about because now we can talk about it. It's more interesting than it is good. Yeah, it's more... I suppose it's it's the film that was the most expensive at the yeah. time. So that's what it's got going back. Mm. Would I have said, let's watch Waterworlds if that hadn't have happened? I don't know. I don't, probably wouldn't have. I probably would have forgotten about it. Mm. People would have forgotten about it, I think. Yeah. But because it's got that tag on it. Mm. So, Mark, let's put our cards on the table. What would you give this for the enjoyment factor? Right. This isn't a good film. Mm. But there are good bits in it. And I'm probably going to give it the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to give it a three star. Really? Yeah. That, even I wouldn't give it a three and I really wanted to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's never bad to look at. It's sometimes boring. Mm. <laughs> but the, And it makes no sense. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of films yeah. from the 90s don't make any sense, I True. guess. The the big action scene raised up from a two. That is one of the best action scenes I've ever seen, uh, practical wise. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could do that with CG now, but what's the? But like, it wouldn't have the feeling it, and the depth and the heft and the yeah and people the fingerprints and the, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Okay. That that just touches a three for me. Okay. I'm quite shocked. I, 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 I might I might change my mind tomorrow. <laughs> 
like just record Fair enough. two and yeah, we we'll just overlay it over but yeah um so next week okay i'm excited okay um so we're gonna watch a film that this week is 10 years old oh so where are we now we're 2020 yeah so that would be 2010 came out the 14th of april 2010 2010 that's quite nearby mm. right what do you know about cemetery junction Oh, is there something to do with Ricky Gervais? It's written and directed by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. Oh, okay. Which is another reason we're watching it, because mm-hmm. next week I'll be doing a review of the second season, or the start of the second season, of Afterlife. Right, so have you been thinking about Ricky Gervais? Yeah. Is uh, that why there's a yeah. tie-in? Yeah. Okay. So? Cool. Synergy. <laughs> do you know but anything know, else about it? I know nothing. I mean, I, I knew there was a Ricky Gervais connection, kind of. Mm. I've just guessed at that. You're not a huge fan of Ricky Gervais. Mm, it's hard. I'm, I'm, I find him difficult as a person. Yeah. I agree with a lot of his views. Mm. I'm not necessarily a fan of the way that he puts those views forwards. <sighs> I mean, I just kind of wish that he sometimes, you know, set his mind a bit more. <laughs> yeah. He's just a little bit too abrasive for me mm. but I don't know whether that's just me being a bit sort of roly eye and you know uh, this is since the office this is the least Ricky Gervais thing he's done okay um, I, I I love this film I saw it in the mm-hmm. cinema I've seen it since um, we own it on Blu-ray mm-hmm. clearly fantastic my, yeah. because we had to rent Waterworld <laughs> yeah see how much did we pay for Waterworld £3.50 £3.50 yeah uh, thanks everyone for listening. Let us know your thoughts on Waterworld. <laughs> this ending is going totally Waltons. <laughs> sure, it's been a long time, long day here on Waltons. <laughs> Good Mountain. night, John Boy. Yeah, yeah. Let us know what you think about Waterworld. Is it your favourite film or like? It's me and no Mark? one's favourite film. Do you think so? Even the people involved in this, it's not really their film. okay. Well, I'll be interested to see whether that is the case. Thanks everyone. Thanks Cheers. for listening. Bye. Bye. Before you go, just a reminder, you can follow us on facebook.com forward slash the honeymoon pod or twitter.com forward slash the honeymoon pod. From there, you should find all the links you need to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcatcher. But apparently not Google Podcasts yet. See you next week. <laughs>